I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. We're in the middle of a series called Wake Up, O Sleeper. Uh, We're going to rise from the dead and let the light of Christ shine on us. It's going to be incredible. Um, I got to be excited. There's lots of good news for you to experience here tonight. First and foremost is that the with life God is possible through Jesus Christ. The good news is, is that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. And there's a seat for you at his table and in his family for you to discover God's good works and that you're his workmanship and he's got things that he's created specifically for you to do. And so I understand we walk in this room from a lot of different places. Some of you uh, are walked in and you've had a great day and you're ready to celebrate. Some of you have walked in and you're just like, "Uh, all I can do is breathe right now. And you guys are all welcome. We're all coming to the table of the Lord to feast on the things and celebrate. And for some of us, celebrating will actually be a spiritual discipline to recognize and live into the reality that God is good. But I want to help us do that. Um, And so last week, uh, we had an incredible time looking at one of our identity statements that I am saved and you, but God, all grace. Not only what we're saved from, but what we're saved for. Handful of people decided to step into the kingdom for God for the first time. An overwhelming response to our prayer exercise. So I've been praying for these people this week. And I just, uh, it's amazing. I think the spirit of the Lord is on the move in this place. And we're doing our best to keep up with him and what he's doing. And one of the great ways that I think we can do that is to celebrate his goodness is by eating together and consuming empty carbs and sugars together. So blessed be the Lord. He's the giver of good gifts. So we're going to have an after party tonight. It's Taco Tuesday. You're daggum right it is. Um, So my wife is here. We've been starving our kids all day. And so they're going to be out there running around going nuts, making a mess. Uh, They're probably going to skip the tacos and go straight for the snow cones. Um, So I'm really excited about that. If you're a dessert first person. Uh, Let's hang out. That's cool. Um, We can do that together. So uh, we're going to have a blast. Um, And just uh, praying through tonight and uh, was praying with Boggs over the phone. He sends his best. Uh, He's on an excursion to Memphis to get a transmission fixed in his truck that he's been there for three days and stranded. And so he's having the time of his life. He's watching right now. So hey guys, hope you're enjoying your second honeymoon in Memphis in a hotel room getting your transmission fixed. But we were on the phone, and he was praying over me and praying over you guys tonight, and we just sensed that one of the greatest acts of obedience that we might do tonight is actually celebrate God's goodness. Um, And sometimes that's a choice that we have to step into, uh, and sometimes that's an overflow. It doesn't make either of those less authentic. Uh, So I hope you'll stick around and join us and try to connect and uh, have some good food, share some smiles, and let's just try to do family together. Um, My family's total complete chaos. And so um, I'm going to bring that to you and we're going to have fun with that. Uh, The weather's finally starting to change. The leaves are coming. All right. We've we've sprung forward, but I I love it. Isn't it interesting that um, the weather's trying to catch up with what we already know? It's time for warm weather. So we woke up this morning, anybody freezing cold? Like I put on a long sleeve shirt and I'm like, I know it's going to be 70 today, but right now it's like 40 and frigid. But as an act of faith and declaration, sometimes we just go ahead and wear the clothes anyway. Because gosh darn, it's been a long winter. This happens in my household. My wife is very scheduled, uh, likes 
to know the times and the seasons and what's coming down the pike. And so before the first day of spring, that's when she goes through all the kids' closets, um, all her closet, and puts away all the winter clothes. Just as a declaration and an act of faith going, winter is gone, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And summer is coming, and I'm throwing our kids outside um, to hopefully not die, but to have fun outside. So go roll in the dirt and get out of my house because it's dirty. So we do that a lot. Um, uh, I'm told that there are certain fashions and colors that you're not allowed to wear until after the first day of spring. I've never been really good at the rules, but my wife will let me know when I violate them. And it's something that's in, in, ingrained in us, I think, seasonally. Um, and when we spring forward, to some extent, what we're saying is, we're going to set our watches by a different time. Uh, we, we know that the light is here, and we're going to choose to live more fully in the daylight hours. And we're going to adjust our living and our pace and our schedules to that. And to some extent, that's what this series is about. That it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine on you. And as children of God, living as a kingdom outpost, a declaration here on earth that heaven is a reality, God is real, and he is good, and his rule and reign can be experienced here and now, we have set our clocks forward to live more fully into the light and goodness of his grace. And that's at the heart of the name of Kairos. There's two Greek words for time, chronos, which is tick-tock, tick-tock, and kairos, which is this pregnant moment in time. It's about time. It's here. It's right in front of us. And to a lot of people in the world, we've already sprung forward into new heaven and new earth and are living by God's rule and his reign, even when some people are still living in the winter and the darkness and the discontent. And that's one of the acts of faith that we get to do as the people of God. Um, when I was a college minister in Tuscaloosa and spring break hit, right? That's when all of my brothers and sisters of a lesser hue just step out and just go, sun's out, gun's out, don't care, sky's out, thighs out, right? And you start rocking it and you're like, hey, that's a little bit chalky. Um, you, <laughs> you may be a good example for self-tanner, all right? I'm not, I'm not saying I advocate that, but what's happening right now, it, it's, I threw up a little bit in my mouth and swallowed it, so... But you're just going bold. You just know the light's going to be there and it's going to help you out. Well, there was a group of our students who, most of them, you know, they all head down to uh, the beach or something like that. Some of the really granola kids and pot smokers, they go to the mountains to do things that I, they repent of later. But I had one crew who was, um, they just decided to buck all of it. And they went with one of their buddies uh, straight up to Colorado to go skiing, which is kind of like the antithesis of spring break, especially for a lot of Southerners. Uh, but they posted a photo, and I just it gripped me because I thought it's a perfect picture of what uh, I hope the community of God looks like. And they're all out in like five feet of snow, and they've got beach chairs out, and they've got just their board shorts on, no shirts. Again, I don't know which was whiter, the snow or them. Um, and they're just posing, just smiling and laughing. Even in the midst of all that winter, they were embracing spring. And so again, for some of you who walked in tonight from the bitter cold of frustration and failure and relationships that aren't going the way that you want to, maybe tonight we can just step forward and spring forward and say, I choose to live in the light of Christ tonight. Even though my circumstances may not 
be suitable for it or the conditions may not be perfect. There is an inner reality. The word of God and the people of God and the will of God informs how I live, act, dress, and think, and play, and celebrate. Amen? Does that sound good? So let's pray, and then we'll open up our our scripture for tonight. Um, Just take a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. If there's anything that's obstructing you, from receiving the light and the love of Christ? Would you just acknowledge that and confess that and ask the Lord to overcome that? And if you would, just take a minute to pray for someone who's sitting at your table or someone who's sitting on the left or right of you. And hopefully by our prayers, they would cultivate an atmosphere in here where the Lord can speak directly to their deepest desires and needs. And would you just say, Father, would you speak to this person? If you'd be so kind, if you would pray for me, that I would be able to accurately portray the Father's heart for you and declare from Scripture that in Christ you're made new. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, tonight, we'll put it up on the screens if you want to look on with a device or if you have what I think is called a book in front of you, that'd be great. You can open it up. I'm going to anchor us in three verses, but then I'm going to be really sneaky and kind of reference about three or four verses that come before it and about six or seven that come after it. But I think the thesis and the identity statement that we're after tonight is right there. So again, we started this series off realizing that in Christ we're saints. We are the holy ones, the set-apart ones of God. We also talked about the fact that in Christ we are saved, not just what we're saved from, but what we're saved for. In Christ we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And these are our identity. And Paul is continuing through the book of Ephesians to try to remind the Ephesians and us who we are in Christ Jesus. And here it comes in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 22, or excuse me, 20. You, however, did not come to know that Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So Paul is saying, in Christ, we are new. The old is gone, the new has come. We need to put off the old self, 
Put on the new self. So here's the bottom line statement, because we're going to talk a lot about what it looks like to be made new in Christ and what that looks like, what kind of attitudes, what kind of behaviors come with that. And we're just simply going to say it this way. We choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express our identity in Christ. We choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express our identity in Christ. This is not legalism. This is not, hey, if you can get your act together, then you can be called a Christian or a child of God. This is, Christ has made me new, and now that I have this new identity, I choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express my identity in Christ. And the more I obey, the more my confidence and faith and trust is in God and in the fact that I can actually live the life that he is calling me to live empowered by his goodness and grace. I am new in Christ Jesus. So if we say that we're new, what is the indicative of that? We have been old. That there was an old way of life or an old self. That there was a time and a place where it was winter and we dressed and we act a certain way and we were darkened in our understanding and that led to certain behaviors, actions, and attitudes. So Paul describes that pretty succinctly in the verses before. In verse 17, he says, hey, when you were old, you, there was futility in your thinking. It was empty, vain, pointless. This is, again, this is the good news of Jesus Christ comes with the bad news that you cannot save yourself. This is sometimes the offense of the gospel, that it's hidden from the wise and given to even the simplest of children. That even no matter how highly intellectual you get, no matter how, many, how awesome you think your line of reasoning is, God is saying that without Christ Jesus, there's a darkness to your understanding. There's a futility to the way that you reason and the way that you think. And in the end, it may look really, really good, but it's empty. And that, I think that flies in the face of a lot of things where we just say, hey man, if I can just get smarter or learn this, I can overcome this. And in Christ Jesus, he's saying, unless the light of Christ shines on you, you're dead. And even your greatest thought will still lead to a life that leads to death. And in the old self, there's a futility to the way that we think that even our best intentions and our greatest efforts turn in on themselves and it is not lasting in goodness and glory for God. So there's futility to our thinking. Verse 18, we're darkened in our understanding, we're separated from God, we're hard-hearted and ignorant to God. That's the old self, that our hearts are inclined to evil, we have an ignorant understanding of God, and we'll choose ourselves every day of the week over God and God's people. Verse 19, callous, indulgent in impurity, a greedy lust for more. Verse 22, we're corrupted by deceitful desires. I love that language because uh, it's our desires oftentimes that we think are the truest reality. But God is saying that in the old self, before Christ's light will shine on you, they are corrupting you with deceitful desires. That within the human heart, sometimes our desires lie to us. Now, there's usually one of two reactions to this. And sometimes even some of it's in Christian thought. Well, if my desires are deceitful and corrupted in the old self, well then let's just get rid of desire. 
if anything can be bent towards evil, let's get rid of it altogether rather than redeem it. And that's probably more of a Buddhist philosophy, which just says all desire can lead to evil, so let's get rid of desire, and then you can be at harmony with the universe. The goal is to remove all desire. But the Christian worldview says something quite different. Something underneath it is truer and stronger and holy and pure. And it is the desire to be loved by God and love God's family. And that those deepest, most deceitful desires with the light of Christ can be redeemed and transformed. That's why Tim Keller talks about the main idols um, in our, our culture today are sex, money, and power. These are the deceitful desires that always, we will always left to ourselves. We will go after. We will go. This is where I will find love, value, and affirmation. And sex, money, and power, when those are your gods, systemically will always lead to racism, classism, and sexism. It will happen in your family. It will happen in your community. And ultimately, it will be a systemic problem within society because at the end of the day, you're worshiping sex, money, and power. And the goal is not to get rid of all those things. The goal is to redeem those things and discover that we were designed with a deep desire to be connected to God and connected to his community. And if we can get underneath that and past our fears, our frustrations, all the excuses why we don't want to do that and discover we were designed for intimacy. We were designed to have a loving heavenly father look at us and say, that's my boy, that's my girl. And it's not good for you to be alone and I've designed my family and my community so that you can walk with me and walk with one another. This is the old self. It's not enough just to get rid of that. But we have to put on the new self. Um, He goes in, this is uh, how one author describes the old self. I thought this was really helpful because sometimes those can be taglines that you just kind of throw around. You're like, well, what do you mean by the old self? He says, the old self is a frame of mind of the person who has allowed full play to his or her desires, who now thinks that these lusts are the most important thing in the world and who looks at other persons to be exploited for their own ends of gratification. I think what I just read to you, if, you, if you're going, what exactly does that mean? Anyone in this room who has struggled with an addiction to pornography knows exactly what the old self is. It is this deep desire to be connected with someone and your desire becomes corrupted and turns in on itself. And Mike talked about it this Sunday here at Brentwood and he was referencing the Time article, um, Time magazine uh, cover article that just said porn. And you guys are the first generation who were digitally raised up with access to internet pornography. And both for men and women of like who have succumbed to that, now find out that they cannot have an authentic connection to another human being. That the digital reality has robbed them of their desire to actually be connected to another human being. And when they are, it doesn't compare to the lie. It is deceitful desires... A good desire, that is, I want to be connected, loved, and valued. And then we step into it outside of God's original and intended purposes. And the very thing you go after, it winds up killing. Here's the good news. Articles have now come out in response to that. And there's now brain studies that say that the brain can actually heal from that way of thinking and feeling. 
Is this why scripture has always said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Is this why Paul says, be made new in the attitude, the spirit, quite literally, the direction of your thinking? That for so many of us, we bought into the world's lies, whether it's porn, whether it's self-righteousness, whether it's isolation, whether it's our image of God, or whether it's our image of ourself. And in our futility of thinking, in our darkened understanding, we thought this was the only way this desire could be met. Because I can't wait or trust on God for someday, somehow, right now I need something. But if we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, if we can put on the new self and have an attitude that's like Christ Jesus, a new way of thinking, a new direction that goes, I'm going to step towards God. And although it feels like I'm abandoning my deepest desires and longings, I understand that my best bet to get them fulfilled is with you and your purposes. Because when I try to take care of it outside of your boundaries, I only wind up more lonely, more ashamed, and more alone. But that requires trust. That requires the daily drip of obedience. That requires that we choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express our identity in Christ. What if obedience isn't a test for God's approval, but actually an opportunity for you to prove to yourself, I can do this. God is trustworthy and I am trustworthy to walk in a new way of thinking, living, and feeling. And then ultimately, my brain can make new connections, true connections, that think the way God thinks. Hebrews will tell us this, that we can have the mind of Christ Jesus. This is why the scriptures are filled with things like this. They don't shy away from desire at all. Psalm 70 says, but I will hope in you and I will praise you more and more. Why? Because you satisfy me with good things. How many of you tonight that that needs to be your prayer of faith and declaration? When everything in the winter vision of you right now says spring will never come. But I choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express my identity in Christ. Why? Because I believe God will satisfy me with good things. And please don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying, hey, follow Christ so you can get everything you ever wanted. What I am saying is our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in the joy of things not yet seen. Do we get to get glimpses of them here on earth? Does the kingdom drop down and manifest itself sometimes? Absolutely. But to be honest with you, some of you will have delayed desires and longings until Jesus Christ comes again, and that's okay. And I believe there's a certain dignity and sweetness to that kind of sacrifice and living. To where you say, I know, I'm putting it in with the Lord. I understand that because of maybe uh, certain circumstances, certain experiences, that my way of thinking has been warped, but I want to learn a new way of thinking, that my desires do not control or drive me, but I drive my desires straight to the feet of Jesus and say, I trust you. I trust that you are the true reality and that your ways are better than my ways. This is why Paul is saying this prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which you have been called to. 
He goes on again in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, that you may be strengthened in Christ Jesus in your innermost being. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you in order to know the hope that which you've been called to and that you would understand that his love is deeper, higher, longer, and wider than you can possibly fathom. And he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can possibly hope, think, dream, or imagine. And it's in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the first verse I memorized as a seventh grader. That as soon as I got to high school, thought was trite and silly. Then I realized it's probably something I have to return to every day of my life. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. We choose to obey. Because it's the most consistent way to express our identity in Christ. Um, I know it's probably been overused, so I'll go ahead and overuse it too. For me, it's, uh, my marriage with Audrey is a metaphor for this. There is the day 16 years ago where I actually said, I do, in front of a pastor, in front of our friends, in front of God. And I did the best I could with what I had. I did not know what I was getting into. Uh, I, I knew as wounded and as warped as I was, I was pursuing God and I saw a woman who was pursuing God and we said, we think it's good and it's pleasing to the Lord that we do life together and we be on mission together for Christ Jesus and you're beautiful and you bring out the best in me and I want to learn how to love and serve you better each day. I, I had commitment issues at the time, like actually thinking, okay, I'm about to make a decision that affects all the days of my life and going, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. All the fear and insecurity and inadequacy going, I know my track record, I know myself. What happens, what happens, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I just felt like the Lord said, trust me to commit today. And then trust me for every other day. And I can tell you 16 years later now that I have to say I do every single day. That that covenant, that decision is only backed up by every day that I commit and say yes to her. And I'm learning the sweetness of sacrifice to honor those commitments. To more and more every day try to think less about myself, more about her, and how can I serve you and our family. And I can tell you this, that today my desires are more fully satisfied in my wife, in my marriage, and in my family than they were 16 years ago when they were all about me. It just has become deeper and truer and more significant and more compelling than I could possibly have fathomed. And can you understand that right now with Christ, for those of us who said, I do, last week, five years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago, that God is calling us into the sweetness of sacrificial obedience to understand that he is trustworthy and that he will satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. Why? Because your heart and your mind are constantly being more transformed into the likeness of his father. It may be quick. It may be immediate for you. That hasn't been my experience. Mine has been, it's been a long obedience in the same direction and it's been worth every minute. And some of you are teeter-tottering and verging. Some of you are half in and half out. Some of you have no, I put on the new self, but you know what? I'm going to keep these few winter clothes just in my closet just in case. 
it's no longer easy or convenient. Some of us, we just have this private thing that we love just to go back to because sometimes it's just easy. It numbs the pain and it's easy to escape to. And I think the Lord tonight is calling us to remember, hey, today we put off the old self and we need to put on the new self. Why? Because we're constantly being renewed in the attitude and direction and the thinking of our minds. That I can actually think a different way, I can act a different way, and my desires can be dissatisfied in a different way. The new self. So what's the the new self look like? In verse 24, you're in likeness of God, true, righteous, and holy, right? You're holy in Christ Jesus. You're a saint. Congratulations. Um, Verse 25, it speaks truth and love. We were reminded, we were on staff retreat, and there's this one phrase that says, how do I talk to people, not about people? Uh Uh-oh. How hard is that at work? How easy is it to characterize supervisors? And people that you work with that disappoint you and never actually having a direct conversation with them or confronting conflict head on in truth and in love, we talk about people. We characterize them, we demonize them. And in our mind, bitterness and envy and resentment grows and grows and grows all because we didn't have the courage to put on the new self and speak in love. Hardworking and useful in verse 28 There's not a better message I could have received for the new self in my 20s when I was like, oh my gosh, I got these dreams and desires and I'm so special. I'm God's gift to the world. I'm such this creative genius. Everyone needs to hear my ideas, but no one's listening. Oh my gosh, what's wrong? I can't work this boring nine to five dead end job where no one realizes my creative genius. (laughs) Woe is me, Lord. How long? How long, oh Lord, okay? It's been like two weeks. And no one's given me a promotion or recognized the incredible contribution I've given to this place, especially during my lunch break, okay? <laughs> and I'm not minimizing that. I know some of you are in jobs you, you never thought you would be in. I know you're in places that you never thought you would be in. And I know it's incredibly disheartening and discouraging, and it doesn't look like anything is about to change. But what if you could spring forward and in the winter of your discontentment and your surrounding barren circumstances, put on your new clothes and your spring self and go, I want to be hardworking and useful. Why? Because Christ Jesus was hardworking and useful for my redemption. And that perhaps Jesus spent 15 years in a dead end job as a carpenter before he stepped in to his redemptive purposes for humankind. Maybe I can handle the next 15 weeks at my job where I decide to become hardworking and useful. Why? Because it's an overflow of who I want to be and how I want to be perceived and how I want to represent my father. Verse 29, helpful, encouraging, attentive, responsive to the needs of others, and therefore beneficial. What if us being a benefit was our primary concern? Do you know that flies in the face of consumerism, right? And we all brought that into the room to us tonight. It's really hard to get out of the mentality. To walk into churches, to walk into families, to walk into jobs, to walk into whatever and go, okay, how does this benefit me? All right, I didn't like that. I didn't like this. 
this guy's beard's way too long. I really don't connect with him. It's just, yeah, it's not, the lighting's not right. Okay, great. Oh, that one song, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want that one. Yeah, I'll just wait till I get that. that. No, no, that's my jam. Yes. Oh, Holy Spirit, now we go. Not that one. I don't like it when he sings that. I want her to sing that. And then, you're all laughing because there's some of the thoughts you've had, right? <laughs> and it's unbelievable how the old self, uh, what is futile in her thinking? How does this benefit me? And, and I'm only connected or committed when all of my needs are being so fully satisfied and all my desires are hitting on all eight cylinders. What if we actually stepped in and said, I'm going to choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express my identity in Christ. How can I be beneficial? How can when I leave a place, people just go, wow, we really benefited from her being here. I know she had some place else she was going. I know that she was waiting for some things, but man, she was one of the best employees we ever had. What does that look like? What does it look like when you're involved in a community and you join a group and you go, how can I benefit the people who are already in here? Now I know some of you have been lied to and have been hurt and there's this old self that's darkened your understanding that just says, I can't get involved in a community. So-and-so did this to me or last time this happened to you. But what if you walked into a group and said, hey, here's the week that I finally decide to have community as a consistent part of my life. Why? Because not only do I think I'll benefit, I think me being here will be beneficial for other people. Not only do I just want to be heard, I want to hear. Like, I, I honestly want to come in and benefit a group. What does it look like if we as the Kairos congregation said, how is the best way that we can uh, benefit the Brentwood community of churches? And to stop just saying, hey, what, what, what can this church do for me? No, what can this Kairos congregation do for this church? How can we leverage and be one of the greatest resources and blessings and benefits to the five campuses that are Brentwood Baptist Church? Now let's keep taking it out. How can we go, how can we benefit the life of this city? So many of us come here and with incredible dreams and aspirations that are absolutely God-given, but what if we said, because Kairos meets on a Tuesday night, how will the city of Nashville benefit? What would it look like if instead of just hearing all the stats about it being one of the nation's leading places for immigrant population, we actually decided to say, okay, how can I benefit? How can our city be a place that the rest of the United States looks like and says, this is how you benefit immigrants. This is how you benefit refugees. They actually did something about it and it was the church that led the way. Next Saturday, our our entire campuses, we're gonna try to engage Middle Tennessee Initiative through poverty, healthcare, and education. And it is our church's stake in the ground or a flag in the ground just says we want to be beneficial for the city because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for the Kairos, there's plenty of opportunities, but for the Kairos congregation, we're going to have an immersion experience for people connecting with people in the Middle Eastern cultures that are so evident in so many of our immigrant populations and refugees. 
And we're going to experience their marketplace. We're going to experience their customs and their cultures. Also that we can learn how to make connections and bridges for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had somebody say this to me once and it's still haunting me. Um, And I wish the Lord would leave me alone with it, but he's not. When we see Muslim people, what would happen if we stopped viewing it as the greatest threat to Christianity, but instead the greatest prize for Christianity? I'll leave that there. I'm still not sure what to do with that. But I do know that the Lord is renewing my mind and changing my direction and the way to think, not just, hey, how can I make sure that my family is happy, safe, and secure, but how can we be a family that's on mission, that is a benefit to this city and to this church and to our family? That's the new self. That's what it looks like to spring forward and go, It's not a convenient time in my life. I've got a lot of things going on. That never changes. I got all the reasons why I should not get involved, be involved, or God should use me. Congratulations. That's usually where every man and woman in scripture was when he called them and used them. We choose to obey. That's the most consistent way to express our identity in Christ. Maybe it's just as simple as this Thursday night. We're going to have a gathering of girls in this room. There's plenty of you girls in here who know that you're fearful of community and that you've learned a hard lesson that you don't ever open up or be vulnerable with other girls. But maybe your smallest, most courageous step of obedience is, I want to take one step forward with trusting God with my desires to be connected, known, loved, and valued. And I'm not going to live isolated anymore. I know it doesn't happen all at once, but... Maybe come in this Thursday just to see this community gathered with sisters underneath the word of God. And if I choose to obey, because it's the most consistent way to express my identity in Christ, then Father, will you continue to move to satisfy the deepest desires of my heart, to be known, loved, and celebrated and appreciated. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Verse 32 says, you're kind, compassionate, and forgiving. (laughs) Mercy. Those are three words I could live the next three years on my life on. I want to put that on a lot more. I want to wear that outfit. Uh, It's so embarrassing how quickly I go to the old self, which is bitter, guarded, and sarcastic. Can you imagine Paul writing this stuff? And his old self, man... He knew how to go after people, right? His whole job was go out, kill Christians. Where you see opposition, you know, punch them in the face, kick them down, drag them and kill them. That's what he, he was wired that way. He loved it. He was really good at it. People knew him for it. He had a great reputation. That's the old self. And then God transforms him by the renewing of the mind. I wonder how long it took his actual behavior to catch up with his new attitude. And then plants churches, and what happens? He gets opposition from all fronts, from inside the church, from outside the church. And I imagine Paul just, you know, sometimes his knee-jerk reaction must be, I'm going old school. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to kill you. I'm gonna, he like pulls out his knife, and you're like, Paul, Paul, no, 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 that's not, that's not the new self. Talk it down, okay? But the Lord gave him new weapons of kindness, compassion, and forgiving. And he found a radical Jesus 
that was so much more courageous and compassionate that he could ever imagine that not only was he supposed to forgive his enemies, he was to love them and pray for them. When's the last time you or I actually prayed for someone who hurt or wounded us? I said, Jesus, I want your best for them. I'm not saying that we don't have boundaries. I'm not asking us to be in codependent or abusive relationships. What I am saying is this is who I am. I'm new in Christ, but you're no longer going to rule over me and my anger and my bitterness just continues to give you rights over me that I no longer want. But the new self, I can be kind and compassionate and forgiving. There's a um, story told of St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. Um, if you read any of this stuff, he was like a notorious sex addict, um, carouser, you know, sleeping with girls left and right, brothels, you know, just, you know, debauchery of debauchery, d- deceitful desires turning in on themselves. He has this remarkable conversion experience, which this has been owning me for a while. He's just the beauty of God was more compelling than the beauty that he found in the world. So he found a deeper desire. He realized that he was wired to be connected and to behold the beauty and glory and goodness of God and it dispelled those lesser desires. So he began to follow Christ and became an incredible kingdom agent. And the story is told as he was walking, telling people about Jesus, he had revisited a city and he was walking down and there's a girl who, um, a mistress who used to have lots of torrid affairs with. Um, and she came up and said, hey, Augustine, he just said hi and kept walking. And uh, she shouts after him and she says, Augustine, it is I. And his response is, yes, but it is not I. He put off the old self, transformed by a new direction of thinking in his mind. And he put on the new self. What would it like to have, have, to have a St. Augustine walk this week? That when your old temptation, your old vice, your old way of living comes shouting to you in the streets and says, Hey, it's me! And you get to say, yes. But it's not me anymore. I don't want to want those things. My desires have been transformed by the renewing of my mind. I've put on the new self and I've sprung forward out of the winter of my discontentment and I'm living by faith, not by sight, that God is good and he will satisfy the desires of my heart. I trust him because he's trustworthy and every day I choose to obey because it's the most consistent way to express my identity in Christ. Paul, as he goes through here and he talks about putting off and putting on. What's really fun is in uh, Roman society at time, that was a, a philosophical pattern that would have been really familiar to a lot of the readers. So if Roman citizens, they were like uber snobs to the rest of the world. They're like, <laughs> we're Rome. Forget you guys. The rest of you are barbarians. And what they would do is in their philosophy and their, their rhetoric, they would say, hey, put off this, put on this, put off this, put on this, put off this, put on this. And then once you do all those things, congratulations, well, that you're a Roman citizen and you are the elite of the elite, the upper crust. Paul takes a pervading philosophy and pattern and baptizes it. He's not afraid of those things. He reads those things. He hears those things. He uses those things to reach his people. But here's what's interesting about him. You can't get to the new self until you go through verses 22, 23, and 24 
which is your identity is given to you. It is received. It is not achieved. Here's who you were, but God. Now your obedience is all grace, not a prerequisite. It is the expression and it is the response from us to say, thank you, Father. I have been made new. This then is how I shall live. And God in his grace doesn't make us put off the old self until he gives us the new self. He gives us the new self in order to compel us to put off the old self. Uh, I have my wife's permission to tell this story, um, which means it's going to be a good one. So we, were, uh, we had, ha- had our first child, Simon, um, and Audrey. Uh, there's a certain style for pregnant women that you just love and embrace, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible, what a neat season of life. And then after you have the child, there's usually a lot of pressure, you know, hey, you just carried a child for nine months, and you're just like, oh, you're still beautiful, it's okay, we love you. And my wife, um, am I doing this justice? I feel like I'm digging myself a hole that I'm not gonna get out of for a while. (laughs) She bought a poncho. I don't know what you call it, a smock. It was something very comfortable and forgiving, which I consider myself. And apparently I wasn't offering enough of that to her, so that, I take that, that's my fault, that's my fault. Even if it wasn't, I say that. But it was like cross-stitch, knit together. Like, I have to be honest with you, it reminded me of one of my grandmother's blankets that just had a hole on it and then it's drapey over like this and it's black and then you, it's, it's just what's grandma's blanket doing on my wife <laughs> but luckily by this time in my marriage I've learned not to say exactly what I'm thinking um, because that usually doesn't go well so I actually paused and went what's the best way that I could honor her and ask her to put that off, okay? <laughs> historically, that has not gone well. Um, and she's actually had to do it. To, there's, she can get up and talk again because she's so much better of a communicator than you are. Um, sorry, that was insecurity. <laughs> and tell you about all the things that she's had to tell me, hey, we need to retire that dude. And I'm like, what? They're my favorite shoes. So... I decide, I go up to her and I just said, hey, Audrey, um, you know that black cover-up poncho smocky thing that grandma made you? I will buy it off you for $100. (laughs) We we didn't have hardly any money at this time. Like, I I, I kid you not, we were $3,000 in our income away from qualifying for government subsidized formula for, for Simon. But you had to see this smock, okay? It was worth, it was worth, I said, I will give you $100 so that I can purchase that smock off of you. And she's like, what? What, $100? She's like, what, Chris, don't you like it? And then we've learned this language. It's not my favorite. It's just, it's not my favorite. And so she takes off her smock and I give her $100 and then she goes to Old Davy where <laughs> you can get 9,000 outfits for $100. <laughs> that will last six months, but it's, it's an incredible six months. <laughs> and she got to put on new clothes. 
Paul here is asking us to put off, and what he's doing is he's recognizing the fact that Christ Jesus saw us in our rags of rebellion, and he didn't just say, get rid of those. He said, I'll buy that all for you. With my blood on the cross, I will purchase that for you. And not only will I buy the rags of rebellion, in exchange I'll give you my robes of righteousness. And the reason he's able to do that is because he did the same thing. He put off the beauty that he had and took on the brokenness of human flesh. He took off his crown, set it down, and took up the cross. Also that we could be made new and put on the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And because he has done that, we choose to obey. Because it's the most consistent way to express our identity in Christ and live the new life that he is calling us to live in the new self. It's no longer I, but Christ Jesus who lives in me and through me. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds and just try to listen to the voice of the Lord and just kind of the way that we guide this time and you can do this with the prayer wall, you can do it with a journal, you can do it with your phone, um, is we just try to answer two questions. What is God saying to me? And what do I need to do about it? That's where intimacy and obedience comes from. Hearing the voice of your Father, knowing that you've been heard, and then responding to it. So if you need uh, a little prodding tonight, perhaps it's from the text. What in the old self do I need to put off? And what in the new self do I need to put on this week? Because of who God says I am, I'm new. Where do I need to choose to obey? Because it's the most consistent way to express my identity in Christ.